Thanks for joining us today on the nateholdridge.com podcast, where we're taking a look at some of the articles that Pastor Nate has written at nateholdridge.com and just going a little bit deeper into them with some conversation. Today, we're talking about our favorite man, our favorite person, that is Jesus Christ, the ultimate man. Let's get into it. Examples of men are abundant in our culture, but who should we emulate? George Clooney? Chuck Norris? No, the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the perfect man we need to look to. Even the most popular men of our culture fail us in modeling true manhood. But Jesus, he is a picture of genuine masculinity. Remember, your life is hidden with Christ in God. He has something for you. He longs to transform you. God's will is to transform Christian men into the image of His Son. God wants to make us like Jesus. So let's set our sights upon the ultimate man, Jesus. Today, we're talking about Jesus, your your favorite man. My favorite subject. (laughs) The one, the only. Amen. Man, so Jesus Christ, the ultimate man. I just love even just the title of this article. I think it's so rad. I'm glad you like it because when I was growing up in the WWF, which was the like fake <laughs> wrestling thing of the time. Oh, yeah. I'm there familiar. was a figure, a famous wrestler called the Ultimate Warrior. And uh, I'm not familiar and, yeah, with that. No, I wouldn't expect you to be. <laughs> That's why I'm talking about it like this. And so it's it's nice that you like the, the title. I had I did not have the ultimate warrior in mind when I thought Jesus, the ultimate man. I think probably yeah. he's the exact opposite of the ultimate warrior in many yeah, ways. Probably. I can see that. <laughs> that is so awesome. I love it. Well, in this article, Nate, it's... It's just all about Jesus being the ultimate man. And I love the take that you really take on manhood and um, just the maturity of a man. And if I could kind of just set it up for a moment, if we like this, we can keep it. If not, we can scrap it. But just kind of setting this up, I think that you start off this article talking about men and this kind of notion that, that there is like a desire inside of men to emulate somebody, mm. an, another man, mm. whether it's an actor an athlete, somebody they look up to. And right from the get-go, you're pointing us towards emulating Jesus. Mm. And you quote some scripture that reflects God's heart for man to emulate Jesus. But there is that thing inside of men, right, that wants to emulate. It sure seems like it. You know, it sure seems that way that we're, you know, whether it's like, you know, I, I love sports, you know, so right. I'm, I'm, I'm a guy who, you know, loves to follow sports and, you know, the the tendency to idolize like a sporting figure or an actor, you know, kind of it depends on what your value system is. You it's know, if true. you're an intellectual, then there's certain types of men that you look to. Uh, if you are, you know, uh, a womanizer, there are certain mm-hmm. kinds of men that you might look to. Uh, if you are a worshiper of body image or something like that, certain kind of men that you might uh, look to, uh, but yeah, I really think so. You know, it's yeah. we want to we want to buy their sneakers, we want to <laughs> you know true. talk like them, dress like them, and I think it's because <clears throat> excuse me, I think it's because like you said, 
there's this deep down desire mm. for us w- where we need a model. We, yeah. we're, we're trying to figure ourselves out. You know, I think a lot of that comes from, you know, insecurity. I mean, people will talk about like, well, I want to be original and I want right. to be, yeah. you know, very independent. And then uh, lo and behold, they, they're, they're actually just copying like a whole fad or a whole niche and saying like, this is me being independent, but actually you've just found a group of people that act a certain way, walk a certain way, talk a certain way, dress a certain way. Um, you know, their fashion, the whole deal is a certain kind of style and you've taken that for yourself. So I think we are, we're looking for models. We're looking for people to follow. And I I don't know if that's like increased as Mm. uh, the role of the father has kind of, uh, been chipped away at within That's our culture and yeah. society. Uh, but I, I would imagine that the less you have good men in your life, the more you're looking out there into the culture and just trying to, to figure it out. So, I mean, it works great if you have good godly men in your life that, you know, when you're seeing LeBron James on TV, I, and I don't know if LeBron's a good guy or not a good guy or whatever, <laughs> right. but I'm not making a comment about that. But it helps if you have all these great men in your life already to where you, you don't necessarily go, oh, that's what a man is. You already know. You already have that definition because you've seen it in operation uh, around you. But yeah, it's just kind of an inter- interesting way to for me to think about it. You know, the Second Corinthians three eighteen yeah. passage. You know that I love mm-hmm. so much that we're being transformed into the same image. So if we're worshiping the Lord, we're loving the Lord, we're uh, spending time with Him, and He is the goal. It's Christ likeness that we're wanting to see developed in our into our lives. But sometimes I think maybe we don't ask the question like, mm-hmm. well, what what does Jesus look like? You know, totally. as a man. Yeah. And and how did how does he operate because if that's the destination then, you know, it, it seems like we would want to know what he looks like. Yeah, totally. And I like how you said that too that we're being transformed into the image of Christ likeness. It's not just like wearing his shoes like you're saying or even just trying to be what it looks like on the exterior that Jesus was. Yeah, because all of that stuff is just very external and it's mm-hmm. going to vary from person to person. You know, we'll, right. we'll have different styles, we'll have different tastes, we'll have different ethnicities. Uh, you know, we're going to have so many things that are different about us, different backgrounds, different personalities, senses of humor, you know, totally. things that, you know, we find funny that are different from other people, you know, we're going to have different skills and talents and abilities. So it's really not that that we're talking about, but it's about the character, the character mm-hmm. of Christ yeah. and, and, and his value system and the way that he operated. And that's what we want to get into our hearts. Yeah, totally. And I appreciate that because you broke, you kind of broke it down into three main, I guess, categories or just mm-hmm. kind of like character traits of Jesus, the, the prophet, the priest, and the king. And so maybe we can kind of just jump right into that now. Now we kind of just talked about looking at the image of Christ and who he is, not just what he was externally or anything, but just like who he was, how he operated. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about these like one at a time and kind of see where it goes. So the first thing that you talk about is Jesus as king. And uh, I would love it if you just kind of just went for it a little bit and just kind of told us why you chose that. Yeah, well, I, I remember I, I actually wrote this article based off of, uh, loosely at least, off of some notes for a teaching that I gave at a, at a men's conference mm-hmm. in, in Northern California a couple of years ago. 
And I remember teaching this whole study, and and uh, I think it was kind of one of those teachings that made more sense in my mind than it did for everybody that was listening. It was awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if that's the case or not, because it was just different. You know, I'm used yeah. to taking like a passage of scripture and explaining it and trying to give background and things like that, drawing out a few points from it and some words of application or illustration, you know, from it. But you know, in the last 10 years or so, there's been kind of a, a focus that's been put on, by some in the body of Christ on the uh, nation of Israel's main okay. offices, prophet yeah. and priest and king. And the point being that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all mm-hmm. of those roles. You know, so you read about the kings in the Old Testament and even the best kings had really serious flaws right uh you look at the priests of the old testament and even the best priests you know significant flaws and and same with the prophets there was a limitation you know they were looking forward pointing forward to someone else you know the ultimate prophet the ultimate king the ultimate priest so i just kind of was taking it from that standpoint and when when that's been talked about in like leadership circles and stuff. The idea is that the kingly side is the uh, strategic building mm-hmm. a kingdom kind of person uh, or, or uh, characteristics. And then the priestly is the uh, personal ministry mm-hmm. and really helping someone along in life kind of person. And then the prophetic is the uh, like telling the truth and using your mouth and sticking to the word of God, you know, kind of, of person. At least this is the way it's talked about in like pastor yeah. circles, you know, thinking about like, what kind of pastor are you? You know, are you more kingly or priestly right, or prophetic? Right. Like what comes more naturally to you? You know, stuff like that. So in just thinking about it with, you know, uh, men, I mean, King Jesus is like builder Jesus, you yeah. know, he's, uh, he's got like a long range vision, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, just the, like the whole story of redemption is like, so, it's the most incredible plan it is. that has it ever is. existed. You know, I mean, it's, it's like you get creation and just a few chapters there at the beginning of Genesis, mm-hmm. but then you get this whole story, this whole book that's dedicated to the unfolding of God's redemptive plan, you know, and then obviously when Jesus came and accepted that mission of stepping out of eternity and taking on human flesh, you know, when he did that, he was entering into this strategic kingdom building, you know, plan for uh, the world. So, you know, he selected a specific group of disciples, you know, 12 of them. And then within that group of 12, he selected three that he would pour into uh, more than the others. And then selected one in Peter that would have, you know, specific attention and lessons that he would give to that man. Um, He had larger groups of disciples, you know, the 70 that would go out at different times. You know, he he was very strategic in in his plan and and building things and a very specific time where the spirit would come after he would ascend in bodily form and receive that glorified uh, body. He would then pour out his spirit upon his disciples. There was like a time and a strategy. The day of Pentecost was the day when 
People made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and that was the moment that Jesus strategically poured out his spirit upon the church so that they would have an audience on that day when they began to speak with other languages miraculously, and people gathered together, you know. So, you know, I guess I'm just, when I'm talking about, like, King Jesus, yeah. I'm thinking about the the leader, you know, the, oh, the, totally. the builder, the... Mm-hmm. The, uh, there's there's focus, there's vision, there's a purpose to my day. There are oh, yeah. things that I'm trying to accomplish, and uh, you know I think certainly when you apply that to you know a man's life, there's just so many ways that that King Jesus kind of mentality applies. You know in our in our everyday life. Totally, and that's what I was going to ask too is thinking about Jesus and thinking about how he was so strategic and how he did plan and how he was such, I mean, he was just so full of vision, obviously. One of the things you do in this article is talk about these different characteristics of Jesus, like the king, and you apply it to a man's life. So how does that look for for a man just operating in his life? How has he developed those kind of kingly attributes or, or I guess even like exude them from his life into the lives of other people around him. Yeah, that's good. Um, and this is really not even what I was writing about necessarily. You know, we kind of there focused on like humility and, you know, that you want to be a, a leader or a king, you know, those kingly True. kind of operations. Right. You want to do it in a very humble way. And then, you know, because that's how Jesus operated. He was the servant leader. And then also the like uh, understanding that he was sent, you know, from the father. Right. So just like very right. obedient, you know, so these are, you know, the gentler kind of attitudes, you know, cause obviously you could take like the concept of being like a leader and strategic and stuff like that. And there can just be a ugly carnal, yeah, you know, kind of fleshly true. thing, you know, yeah. that happens there. But I think what you're asking is just, it's kind of a cool question because I think what, what we're looking at is if the Lord gets a hold of my life as mm-hmm. a man, and King Jesus had that, you know, leadership and that building and that long range strategic vision, you know, things like that. Right. How can I, you know, get that into my life? Hmm. And if I'm uh, naturally, you know, kind of that type of person, how can I get that into submission to the Lord? Yeah. And then if true. I'm naturally just like not that kind of person, how can I? you know, come under submission to the Lord. Yeah, so I guess what, what I'm really asking is, you know, you talked about humility and um, sending out. And one of the things that really impacted me about this article, Nate, was that you talked about Jesus, the King of Kings, that King Supreme, as as King, but in his kingliness, he submitted himself to coming in in flesh and serving others and being humble at the same time like you just said he also sent people out he sent peter out he sent his disciples Mm -hmm. out he was a man who saw somebody saw potential and just gave them like the oomph almost just like go for it so i guess just with, with that in mind do you have any kind of thoughts just towards a man in being humble and being somebody who recognizes people and sends out, yeah, it's kind mean, of like a double question. Well, but. I think I think what um, what Jesus had going for him was that he was so secure yeah. in his position, and so when he, for instance, was washing the feet of his disciples, there was no doubt in his mind 
where he had come from and where he was going. In fact, John makes it very clear before the foot washing ceremony or uh, spectacle there uh, in the upper room, he makes it clear that Jesus, knowing where he had come from Mm. and knowing that he was going back to glory, going back to the Father, knowing that God had committed all things into his hands, he washed his disciples' feet. He girded himself and began to serve them, you know, in that kind of way. So I think a a lot of times um, a man tendency might be to um, loudly or subtly um, defend our position, Mm. you know, and and have to kind of clamor for it. And sometimes that's be, we're doing that because we're insecure in the position that we actually have. And, you know, the Lord was just so confident. This is who I am. This is who God has made me to be. I know my position in him. Mm. I, I know, um, I mean, obviously uh, unmade, uh, but, you know, if I'm transferring that to my own, right. you know, attitude. Um, and so uh, I think that, that that security or that confidence confidence can really help a man um, say, look, this is my position. So, you know, if Jesus, the king of all kings, was willing to serve people, then of course I want to lower myself, you know. Yeah. I, I am the leader of my family, you know, mm-hmm. for instance. But, you know, my daughters aren't there to be my loyal subjects. Right. You know, I, right. I serve them. You yes. know, they do need mm-hmm. to, I, I do need to be the leader. I, I'm not there to follow them. I'm, I'm there to help them, you know, prepare them for, for life. And like Jesus did with his disciples, I want to get them ready for the next dispensation that they're yeah. going to go through in their lives. <laughs> um, but I'm there as a, as a humble leader to serve mm-hmm. them and to lift them up. And, you know, if I'm insecure in that role, and don't really know who I am, then I'll probably be like clamoring for the position right, makes sense. Uh, instead of just humbly, gently leading them. Hmm. <clears throat> With that, you talk also about Jesus being the prophet, the perfect prophet. There's a, there are prophets who, like you said, were imperfect, were looking ahead towards Jesus and had their own failures, mistakes and everything, but Jesus was the perfect one. And you kind of open this part up by saying that Jesus spoke a lot. And uh, so I know for me, you know, I'm one of those guys who, like when we're having conversations like this, I love speaking and everything, but it is harder for me, I think, in boldness to be a man who speaks out truth and with honesty. And maybe there's somebody listening to this right now who struggles with that a little bit too. Or maybe there's somebody who speaks very boldly very often. But what does that look like for... um, what does it look like for Jesus, Nate? And how does that kind of translate just into our lives emulating Jesus in that kind of way? Well, like you said, you know, he spoke and spoke and spoke. He he did tons of teaching, you yeah. know, and obviously the Gospels don't record for us, you know, every single thing that he said, and the Gospels record for us plenty of things that he did. Uh, but there's so many there are so many words of yeah. Christ, you know, mm-hmm. found in the Gospels and, and recorded for us. He just taught and taught and taught. He taught us about the difference between light and dark. He taught us about the kingdom. He taught his disciples about their mission. He taught them about forgiveness and uh, dealing with shame. He taught them about the the truth, about heart defilement rather mm-hmm. than external yeah. defilement. So he was just constantly speaking as he was preparing his disciples those three plus years. He was he was speaking into 
their world, their environment, their mindset. So, you know, obviously, um, Jesus has the authority and the position to speak, you know, like that. And obviously, our words are never going to have the same kind of um, authority and Mm -hmm. backdrop and strength that his words have. Uh, But uh, I think that what you're seeing there with the Lord is you're seeing one who, as he lived his life, the people that he loved, the people he was responsible for, uh, he was willing to speak into their lives. Right. Willing. Willing to Mm -hmm. talk. Willing to open up his mouth and his heart towards them. And, you know, I I think I mentioned that one because a lot of times as men, I think there are things that we, there, there are things we think Mm-hmm. There's stuff that we we know. There are things that we know we should say mm-hmm. that um, are affirmed in God's word and that we should repeat to the people that God has given us at least some level of responsibility for. Um, and then there are encouragements that we should give. There is truth mm-hmm. that we should utter, but that a lot of times we just, um, you know, back away from. And I, I would just hate for... You know, in my life or your life, uh, I would hate for uh, in my latter years to look back and say, you know, I should have, I should have said mm. more, I yeah. should have spoken more, I should have, you know, taught that person more, or I should have uh, given that counsel more, or yeah. I should have, gosh, that person, I should have encouraged them more. I don't know why they're so discouraged. I should have been encouraging them with my words. And so I just see with the Lord one who was so gifted, obviously, you know, and, and, you know, had the perfect word to say. And a lot of times our words get us into great trouble. And there's a reason why, (laughs) you know, there are proverbs about silence, you know, as well. But the more that we, we are conformed into the image of Christ and brought under the power of the spirit and the dominion of God in our lives, the more that that happens, I think the more we have the possibility of saying things that people in our lives really need mm-hmm. to hear. And when you think about all the voices that people are bombarded with every single day, it seems good that we would open up our mouths as we're brought under the Spirit's control to you know, teach and to instruct and, mm-hmm. to, and to help people you know, as the Lord did. Right, and it doesn't really need to be from just like a, a pulpit setting, right? I think you even say that in your article. That can be just like in conversations with people. It can be in oh, your yeah, family. absolutely. I mean, I don't know how many words I speak each week from the pulpit. It's probably, you know, like 10,000, 12,000, yeah. you know, words, something like that. But, um, you know, and that's... Those are those are good, and that's obviously a very important time. Right. But the thing about that is that that's you know you're taking the Bible, you're explaining it to a large group of people, mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit takes that word and you know applies it to a person's life and heart. But you know if I'm just talking to you, you know, and I say 500 words to you, mm-hmm. you know, much less than I would in a sermon, um, it has a different kind of emphasis to it oh, yeah. because you know you know that you are the intended audience you right. know of those 500 words whereas in a you know 10,000 word sermon or a 5,000 word sermon or something like that you know there would be certain parts that you're like oh that's good that you know hit right. me but this is you know when it's one on one it's just very direct 
And, you know, most of our communication, you know, I mean, it's pretty rare that someone is actually going to be giving a sermon anyways. You know, mm-hmm. you're talking about only guys that are pastors for the most part or Bible teachers. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not even talking about that, really. Totally. I'm just talking about in our everyday lives, you know, I just mentioned my kids, you know, not that long ago. Mm-hmm. You know, these little girls, they need to hear, you know, their dad. They need to hear totally. my voice. They need to hear... You know, what I think about things, what I think about life, how I process things, how stuff that's happening in the news, you know, how uh, how does a man submitted to God and his word process the stuff that's happening throughout our world? How does he live his life? What are the pillars in his heart? How does he, you know, make his decisions? And it's not always preachings. A lot of times it's just self-revealing, you know, yeah, if, if, if God has gotten into my life and changed me and transformed me, then... I'm just trying to tell them like this is why I do what I do. I'm giving I'm helping them have an insight into what a man looks like mm. who's trying to come under the rule of the spirit, you know, in his life. So, yeah, I mean it has hardly anything to do with right. Bible teaching or podcasting or anything like that. It has so much to do with just the people in our lives. That's I think that I mean you're hitting on <laughs> by asking me that question. Uh it's kind of one of the things that I think we forget about in our mm. modern culture and time in that God has put people in your life. Yeah. And you might not have, you know, a big following of people. Who cares? You know, because people follow 50 different teachers and listen to them, you know, at a 2% level. But there might be five people that God has put in your life who just look up to you so much. And the words that you can speak into their lives are like just solid gold for them in their lives. And so as you come under the leadership of the Lord, you spend time with him, you want him to to use your mouth as a an instrument of blessing in mm. those people's lives. Yeah, that that makes so much sense too because even when you're saying that, I was just thinking about the parallels of what you're saying to just what you were saying previously about Jesus and his ministry. He he spoke to large groups of people for sure. But he really did. He he targeted it down to twelve men, three men, one man, and just spoke into their lives. Just spoke, spoke, spoke directionally to yeah, them. Yeah, that's a that's a great observation. You know, his his teaching ministry was not really multitude based. Right. It was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there was there was a great and deep impact. Kind of the smaller that it got. In fact, the broader the audience got, it was almost like the more intentionally confusing he made his messages on one hand you know it seems to be part of the Mm -hmm. role of the parables like oh you guys are just here because of the miracles and the signs and all that kind of stuff so you're not really ripe yet to hear the the nitty-gritty truth of the matter so i'll give you these parables so that you'll walk away kind of going what was that about (laughs) and then hopefully in the future as the gospel is preached your heart will be opened up and, and you'll those stories will cause you to question you know your life and your priorities right. you know things like that so but then yeah i mean with his disciples it was just laser sharp boom this is totally. this is an absolute clear statement you know from the lord mm. so yeah you're exactly right that's cool so jesus as the prophet speaking that truth into men's lives and i think that just kind of rolls right into this third thing that you're talking about with jesus being the perfect priest as well mm. you know he spoke directionally to men but then 
he's also just the, the perfect priest. And you even laid out a little bit that he um, brought cleansing with his ministry. Can you kind of dive into that a little bit with us and just kind of may open that up? What did, what did it look like for Jesus to be the priest? The well, priest? yeah, I mean, and this kind of concept comes from, you know, not only the Old Testament priesthood and that the tabernacle and the temple was just a shadow of the heavenly reality, uh, but, you know, in Hebrews, we learn that Jesus is the great high priest mm-hmm. and that. that, you know, the Levitical priesthood was actually just kind of, uh, you know, an, a shadow of what he's doing, you know, for us, even though he didn't come from uh, the tribe of Levi, who was of the order of Melchizedek. But that's another mm. uh, story. Oh, yeah. But anyways, um yeah, his his priestly role. If you think about those priests, you know what they did in the Old Testament era. The, the you know the worshiper would come with their sin and with their sacrifice and with their need. You know, if it was like just a praise offering, a, you know, a, a sin offering, just a burnt offering, a, a tithe that they were giving. You know, it was a way for them to commune with God, to be cleansed by the Lord, to to um, you know repent of sin and you know obviously the priesthood then could not fully purify a person because the sin is an issue of the heart and those blood of bulls and goats couldn't you know take away sin Mm -hmm. but jesus you know in his operation like what he what he's doing is that he as we come to him you know he is uh seeking to wash us and Mm -hmm. to cleanse us he's seeking to uh, you know, he redeems us officially and positionally, but then he's in the process of redeeming, you know, our lives. Mm-hmm. And I guess, like, yeah. what what I'm just thinking about with that, you know, priest Jesus, I mean, obviously, like, I'm never going to be the one to, you know, positionally forgive somebody, you know, and like, right, it's true. now you have forgiveness with God because I, you know, said so or something like that. Um, I'm not the great high priest, you know, right. or anything like that. But just that... I think we just see in the Lord that willingness to just get down and dirty with people, you so know, true. and just I love that about him. minister to them, <laughs> yeah. you know, right where they're at, not freak out with where they're at. You know, I mean, there was never any audience or room that Jesus was in or around where he wasn't far and away the holiest person there. Yeah, true. And, you know. So I just think about like the way that he's, you know, been so gentle with me, so gracious with me, has listened to me, has tried to help me work through the dilemmas and the issues of my life and heart. And I think that kind of like priestly uh, skill, man, I want to get that, you know, into my life more yeah. and more and be able to uh, like the Lord, you know, in, in times that I need to, you know, sit with people, pray with people encourage people i mean one of the things i love about um, the old testament priesthood you know when when you're reading through the book of leviticus you get to this whole chunk there in the middle of leviticus where it's all about how these guys were supposed to handle uh like skin conditions of all different varieties you know and it's actually kind of as you go through it it's it's a little bit gross yeah just like how um intimate Mm -hmm. you know they became with these worshipers that were trying to be cleansed you know i mean they were like having to inspect their skin right. and then hey you know come back in a week come back in two weeks i'll reinspect your skin you know and just uh there's like a a, a personal involvement 
that they had, you know, and the Lord does that so much better than they ever would have. You know, he just pursues us. He's, he's trying to uh, really get into just like I said a moment ago, the, the, the nitty gritty, the dirty, you know, stuff there. He's trying to help us and to cleanse us, to wash us. So, you know, I think that the Lord has put people in our lives that, you know, have all kinds of issues and sin and we can be an instrument of cleansing prayer of trying to, you know, restore, you know, their lives. We we won't be the ultimate restorer, but we're trying to help them, you know, along in that process, you know, rather than being like the self-righteous, you know, pious person who just, I can't believe that you would do that. I can't believe that you would do this, you know, and kind of be the ranty, you know, kind of person. Right. That's not like the Lord. So I, I think that's what I was kind of getting at with the priestly. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for kind of bringing some clarity to that too. That's not our responsibility necessarily to be that cleanser. That's all Jesus. But we can grow in that priestly characteristic, I guess, by, yeah, just becoming more like Jesus, becoming more gentle, more loving, being willing to, like you said, get down into like the nitty gritty kind of stuff with people. So that's awesome. That's the man we're trying to emulate. This man, Jesus Christ, the prophet, the king, the priest, the perfect one. So Nate, I think we're about out of time. It's kind of nice because we just finished this up, I think. But do you have any final words, any thoughts about Jesus Christ, the ultimate man? Yeah, you know, I just would encourage you as a man to as you're listening to this to continue to ask the Lord, you know, as you're approaching him, you're going to see his nature and character all throughout the whole Bible. But especially as you engage with the Lord in the gospels, which, you know, maybe for a season in your life, you want to do every day to have one of your Bible bookmarks in a gospel. It's not the only part of the Bible that you should read, but some people recommend, you know, being in it every day, at least part of the life of Christ. And as you do, you know, obviously our heart and desire is to celebrate Jesus. We, we're worshiping Jesus. You know, he's, we're not just looking at his life and saying, okay, now I'm going to do that. I mean, you're never going to go to his kind of cross. You're never going to live his kind of life. But, you know, as you see all that sacrifice and as you see all that love and as you see all that tenderness and as you see all that bold truth and confrontation, as you're watching all that, just keep in mind that you're now in Christ as a believer, and he wants to redeem and restore you and create his life more and more inside of you. He's he's trying to transform you into that same image. So maybe it's just a mindset shift, mm-hmm. you know, in your heart, but I just encourage you as a man to to have that within your mind. Amen. That's so good. Well, cool. Thanks, Thanks Ray. See you guys next time. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to read some more articles from Pastor Nate, you can always go to nateholdridge.com and browse through all the archives. Everything's there. And if you'd like to have his articles sent to your email on a weekly basis, you can also sign up for that at nateholdridge.com. And while you're online, please share this podcast with a friend. We would greatly appreciate that. And also, stay tuned for another episode next week. But until then... God bless you guys. We'll see you soon.